This is John Stepling. This is Aesthetic Resistance. And with me is Molly Klein um, in New York. I'm, as usual these days, in Norway um, in the middle of a, a strange snowstorm, unexpected snowstorm. Um, so, hi, Molly. Hello. <laughs> so, okay, I'm going to jump right in. Yes, please. Because we're, we, we don't need to warm up. And it, I was really enjoying the previous shows, I wanted to say, oh, by the way. Yeah. And, um, and in fact, I want to respond to some of the things that you talked about, but later. But I was thinking about, okay, so we're going to talk about coronavirus. And one of the things, because I was wondering, like, what, you know, so Jonathan Beller said, you know, psychoanalysis was film theory all along or something like that. And what he meant was fairly simple, that with cinema, everybody has these false memories and false, uh, you know, that they share and that, you know, that can be manipulated and activated just like your real, mem you know, your real memory of childhood may be manipulated by, by a con man. Now everybody has these fake memories. And in the coronavirus thing, the one that struck me today was the rise of the planet of the apes, which is a huge, huge oh, um, hit, yeah. right? And it's yeah. a virus that, um, dooms humanity right to be overcome by the apes so i guess we'll learn later who the apes are going to be <laughs> but, um, but just like how people are willing to respond even without any reality and yet um i i don't think it's going to work it's like it's in the it's in the spectacle they're getting away with it so far but once people are um put into real hardship they're going to worry about the real hardship more than they worry about um, the virus because I don't think anyone's actually afraid of getting the virus. Well, it's like they're angry well, no. at the virus. They think the virus is getting away with something. The virus is some rogue that we have to go stop, you know, just on principle. Well, I think that, I mean, my sense so far, and um, I'm coming from, from having to pick up my two-year-old, three-year-old now, twins because the, the preschool closed just yeah. all of a sudden. And I said, well, but has anyone, you know, fallen ill in this area, let alone at this school? No and no. I said, well, <laughs> why are you the closing hell? the school? Well, it's just precautionary. And, you know, it's a, I said, but it's, it's like getting the flu and kids are basically immune anyway, apparently. So, you know, but, but, what strikes me, what what my my first sense of people's response when you read social media, read the newspapers, you watch, you know, MSNBC and all of these places, BBC, um, is that that two things. One is that people feel comfortable being in a Hollywood disaster movie, a, a post-apocalyptic movie. On one level, it's contagion. Um, and and the Soderbergh and and in another it's Planet of the Apes and in another it's you know the Walking Dead. Um, it bears similarities to all of these things. And the second thing is that there's a strange desire for this, and it's not just the desire to be in this movie or in in you know inhabit or activate these false memories. It's somehow the the desire to to act a part that I guess people are intuiting or feeling has been scripted for them somehow. And this is something I've, I've, that feels very pronounced to me is I, I see um, 
you know, ostensive leftist, sort of faux leftist. I mean, Joshua Frank was one who on Twitter was complaining that his parents had flown in from somewhere to somewhere, I don't know, Italy to London to New York, I don't know. And nobody had stopped and taken their temperature. <laughs> he, thought, wants that, he wants to lock up his own parents. Yeah, and I thought, you're asking what you're asking. Yeah. He's asking a pundit, they were right? quarantined somewhere? I mean, Would that satisfy you? Um, but he's you like, such a propagandist. I mean, like, people that I'm meeting in my neighborhood are just not buying this at all but they don't know there's no leadership for the left or even progressives you know like no. certainly that that you know the kind of things that they're doing that are hurting like uh, workers now are the kinds of things that the awful joe crowley would have opposed in my district and now there's aoc and she's going along mm -hmm. with the whole thing so there's no but also they, yeah, maybe people want to go along with this, as you were saying, like their roles, because somewhere they think they're going to get the payoffs that you get in those movies, which is the freedom from drudgery. Your bosses disappear. They fall down a hole. They go, go into the broken earth. Right. You have they no more electric bills or water bills. Right. And then once, once they realize, once they start to feel the, the, the effects are quite opposite, they're going to, you know, Already the kids, there are some kids in Dayton, Ohio, who protested the closing of the school. People who can't go to work, who can't make a living, whose shops, I mean, in my area, there are a lot of like little businesses that, you know, mm -hmm. the big businesses are dying to come in and drive them out, the Starbucks, the Primark, all these things. So they um, target, et cetera. So those people are not gonna make it two weeks closed you know right so well, they're not I mean, going to want this they're going to rather have the flu there's but this, so so the other thing then yeah. is um because it, just to just to yeah. sort of complete that thought about people playing this scripted role what i see is a conspicuous and this was true with climate the climate discourse um certainly on social media but um is they they this conspicuous display of virtue. Yeah. Um, I, I care so much. Let's, this is, people are dying. Of course, very few people are dying, but never mind that. Um, yeah. People are dying and this is very serious and we have to think of the big picture and, you know, don't be so selfish as to, you know, um, complain about this or that because, you know, there's a, there's a pandemic here. Right. And, and, and you think, but, but when you question those people and you say, but this is this is essentially the seasonal flu. That's the level of severity. That's the level of infectiousness, actually yeah. less, and and the mortality rate is is very low. I mean, at least with Ebola, fifty percent of the people died. You know, right? Oh, it's um, much is, less contagious. But yeah, yeah. right. I mean, I so, mean, so, it required some. No, it's absurd. It's yeah. So it's staggeringly absurd. I mean, it's it's. You know, Trump cancels flights from Europe. Seattle um, has, you know, put in a curfew. What they're now, the new term du jour is lockdown. Uh, yeah, which is really scary. I mean, that's a, pri a that's strangely from a prison. vague term, no? I mean, it's from a prison, from when there's a prison revolt and when you lock everyone in their cells. Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. where they, they, it originated. And then they started to use it after the Boston bombing. Remember, right. they said, the oh, Boston they're locking Marathon. down the town. And it's like, wait, yeah. it's not a prison. You can't lock it down. <laughs> you don't have cells to go back to. But um, that's what they're, 
and and it's giving people it's allow it's trying to convince people to accept that society is a prison and that you know we belong in ourselves and we need a permit to walk outside right. but right. then also they have this that you know yes you're protecting the weakest the weakest are going to die of this disease but it's it's just it's the most absurd thing i mean yeah and now you know they're giving these these oh but look if you socially isolate the virus well yes if you're if you're if you enforce chastity you'll eradicate stds if you take everyone's driver's license away you will save a lot of lives in the in the right there's a right. the fragmentary thinking that's the screen damage i think is in play here a lot you know they the Absolutely. inability of people to see anything in a context or put anything together um you know they just they're they they're listening to an advertisement to a pitch all the time that takes place in a vacuum and they don't right. yes of right. course if you if we all kill ourselves no one will ever die of cancer again <laughs> right well you know? <laughs> I mean, and and but you see of course one of the one of the big um factors here is that governments are are leaping at the opportunity to um uh, you know, for, for massive, you know, restrictions on travel and, and they, you know, up data mining and surveillance yeah. and all of this stuff. They're, they're very happy to jump at that chance. And it's the first time I've read in mainstream media, uh, China being applauded for a very authoritarian <laughs> draconian <laughs> response. It's Suddenly amazing. that's a Right. That's a good thing now, you see. And, and in right. that respect, we should be more like China. Um, it's, right. it's, really, it's really remarkable. But I, I want to get back to one, because I, think it's, because I think it's hugely pertinent. Um, and that is, you know, Beller's idea of these false memories, people living in this, this, you know, well, going back, I mean, what Adorno really calls second nature, in a sense. It's, it's this fabricated fantasy in which they star in their own home movie somehow that's on a loop in their head. Although um, the, the weird thing is that all these false memories, the re I think with the screen damage, the really damaging thing is that you're not in your memories. The memories concern people and not you. You're not there. They're from the movies, you know, Brad yeah, Pitt is in yeah. your memory and you are actually not there at all. And the yeah, loss of the self, the loss of self that you were talking about as this effect, I mean, it's partly like children now grow up, they watch a TV, their friends are on TV in that apartment and they personally are not there. The friends don't know they're there. And that's right. now a memory. Whereas you would well, before have a memory that you, that involves your own participation yeah, and i think own... i think that's really profound because yeah. it and it speaks to a sense i have and this is we were i was thinking of talking a bit about and maybe we will eventually um talk about the the oscar winning film um parasite oh, yeah. um, because what struck me one of the things that struck me about it but i'm struck with this all the time is the voyeurism involved there's something subtly and and uncomfortably voyeuristic about nearly everything that comes out of of Hollywood these days, um, and European cinema for that matter, mostly. And it's hard for me to pin down what that quality is, but or or how the mechanisms by which by which it appears. Uh, but but it it has to do with what you just. 
um, articulated, which is that, you know, this, this, this loss of self, this sense that people distrust their own identity in a sense, because deep down they recognize it's manufactured or has been given to them somehow. Um, and, and it's why there's such a fetishizing of this idea of authenticity, something that nobody, people use that word without ever being able to define it at all. It's one of those indefinable words probably. But, but um, I, th I think that, that, so those memories, that idea that here's what I remember, it was just like, um, you know, 16 Candles, it was just like Breakfast Club, it was just like Marriage Story, it was just like whatever, um, is, is because you're the spectator. And Yeah, and you're not even in the memory. You're not in the memory. They don't know you're there. Right. And this is how people feel with their friends now. You know, yeah, there's that it breaks down the relationships, like people feel like they can say, you know how I, I noticed this, like, I mean, not to talk about Twitter, but, you know, or social media, but like how somebody can go to you privately. I'm sure it happens all the time. And they're like, oh, I learned so much from you, blah, 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 blah. And then they turn around and trash you. And it's just like, <laughs> it's just like they would do about a TV show they love, right? Like right. you are just a TV show they love. They're, they're, you're not yeah. a human being. There's no relationship. And, you know, this kind of, it was interesting what you said about Parasite, because of course, everything in that movie is, is licenses itself by acknowledging it, right? Saying, I know what I'm doing. I know I'm being a fascist now. And with that voyeurism thing, of course, what he does in the middle of the movie is he takes the little kid who's the innocent who's the little primitive, who is, an, who is a, a, an innocent in quotes, the noble savage, and he puts him out in the garden in the tent watching the house as a TV, right? Right. And then, right. so that it's like saying, you know, it's like he's disavowed, I mean, he, the voyeurism is saying, well, you know, it's, it's kind of innocent also, or it's ironic, or you're, you, you know, suddenly you're, you're interpolated, but again, it's not you. And I really think that the kid, the kids have a have a um, the screen damage is part of this. That most of their memories now, like for us, it was like a few of our memories were like that, right? right. Now right. most of their memories, they're not in. They're false, canned memory substitutes that are that they that they you know consumed as as entertainment commodities where. The, the, they're trained to be silent staring and to accept that they have no power over what's happening. They can't intervene at all. Right, right. And that's, that's very interesting because one of the things I see in people's behavior when, when you're actually in, in the presence of somebody um, and not on a screen uh, is, is, a, is people have lost um, the capacity to, I mean, it is autistic in a sense. People have lost the ability to read instinctively facial expressions and, and innuendo and tone. It's an extraordinarily tone-deaf society, American society right now anyway. Um, and and the, if you watch, you know, say, you know, your average network television show, one of the, one of the things that characters exhibit besides always having a backstory in the military one of the other things is an extraordinary um inability to forgive it 
people are unforgiving. People don't forgive their parents. They don't forgive their siblings. They don't forgive their, their wives or husbands. Um, and this is played out as a virtue, as a, as a good thing, as a sign of um, toughness or taking care of yourself. It's a, it's a right. byproducts of a, of a culture of therapy. Um, is, but they never heal. That's right. They have to kill they, everybody. Exactly. But it's a dead, <laughs> really an extraordinary deadness. Um, yeah. and, they, and, they, and, and there is this, it is very robotic. The, the whole behavior and no, I don't forgive you. You were mean to me. You weren't there for my football game practices. And, and so I hate you. And, but it's not very convincing and it's not very emotional really that one doesn't believe the emotion anyway. And I don't believe it in, in real life when I, when I run into people anymore either. But, but my sense is that, that people are kind of, at, I mean, I'm generalizing, mm. but people are, are kind of dimly aware of this, in a sense. And this causes this strange anxiety or, or um, discomfort psychologically. They, 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 they act the part they assume has been scripted for them in this, this canned reality, this this you know second reality, alternate reality, and yet deep down they know somewhere or they feel somewhere in their body that this um, isn't me and isn't real and and I don't feel at all connected to it, and and so it's it's a whole it's a it's a strange like circle of or intertwining circles of that are like closed loops you know that that just repeat all the time um anyway yeah with I, no content you know and that's right they're taking the these right when you present something fictionally like in a play or in a movie right you you take a little slice of a reality and you you erase the context the context just implied and then um it has another level of meaning, a symbolic level of meaning. And then they right. want you to apply this to your actual life, you know, so that you have one incident where, you know, your parents didn't let you go to that thing. They were unfair to you. And then that takes on a symbolic level where that becomes the nature of your relationship as if it were in a, in a fable, when in fact, it's just part, you know, the day before was different, the day after was different. And they want you to get fixated and stuck in this, well, that's sort of what Baudrillard, I guess, was sort of get. Although he he went so wrong on so many things, but you know, this a lot of these mediologists were were so right wing, and they and it made them very observant because they hate modernity so much and they fantasize right. this golden past. But they were observant, and this hyper reality, like they, to really the secret of it is this disconnecting everything, the fragmenting, the non-synthesis of anything. So you can't forgive because that's the eternal moment. That's the moment that means, you know, that's the one that's right. been put on the screen and it's there forever, preserved forever in a can. And, um, and the rest of your reality is not even there. It's only implied. Right. Well, and that's again, you know, a, a sort of autistic, affect or something it is. and and it's also um it's also a product of there being simultaneously through all of this a sense of being a spectator a spectator to your own life 
and um, because your life is just a movie after all, because everything is just a movie. And um, so people watch themselves in this movie uh, and, and there is when they have to, you know, exhibit volition or, or make a choice or act decisively, it's unfamiliar, uncomfortable, alien, and something that they, they have great difficulty with, I think. Yeah, they don't expect anybody to react to them because they're used to observing eavesdropping on people who aren't there. You know, people who are dead, you know, watching a TV show uh, with Clark Gable. You know, that's what they're used. That's the model now because that's the dominant experience instead of, you know, it happens slowly, right? But now it's really, really dominant and you see little kids on the screen. Yeah, well, and of course we see this. I mean, the the cliche is, but it's, but it's true is that you go out, you go to the mall or something, yeah. although now we can't do it because coronavirus has <laughs> stopped all that. But, um, you know, you go to the mall and you see people out staring at their telephones, you know, at, yeah. at their smartphones and people sitting, boy and girl sitting next to each other, not looking at each other. I've seen whole tables of friends sitting, staring at their telephones, not staring at the phones at all. And they don't, and they really, I mean, and it's, it is, they still know the difference, but they can't feel the difference. That's what's happened. You know, people still sort of know, although they're, they can even tell the difference between reality and fiction as captured, as photographed less and less, but they Mm -hmm. still sort of know there is a difference, but they can't feel it at all. They can watch, you know, horrific atrocities as if they were fictions without having uh, physical reactions. They, they're very, you know, they're different. There's, um, I think this is all curable too. I mean, that's another thing I I learned. um, I mean, I went through this experience as you know, recently with my brother having all these strokes, like 14 infarcts in his head and three major strokes. And, you know, they're telling us he's a vegetable and we should let him die, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know what, his mind is totally intact. There's nothing about his mind. But when you look at the MRI, you just, you know, I was like, oh my God, you know, I was thinking I'm, I'm not gonna let them kill him, but I may have to go and euthanize him, you know, like give him morphine or something. I didn't know what the result would be. And then he's totally there and he's even walking now, but he's totally there. So they, and they know nothing about the mind. You know, the no, mind nothing, is not known. Nothing. So, Nothing. you know, this idea that I do think that the, the brain is also being damaged by the screens, and we, we've known that since television puts you in a trance and stuff, but I don't think that it's irreparable. Any of the, I don't think any of this is irreparable. That, well, I think one of the, you know, one, yeah. they, they, there were certainly a, <clears throat> a lot of studies done with that, that that habituation to screens, endless amounts of time at the keyboard, yeah. these repetitive actions and looking at things makes the brain less flexible and yeah you have to try to keep it flexible right so the um the the curable part is going to be a long you know slow process of elasticizing what has become you know very rigid and inflexible um and and i don't know i mean the the just to you know circle back for a moment to the coronavirus uh 
I, I mean, when it was first announced and after sort of three days and you could feel that something was being revved up in media about this, that it was, it was, there was going to be a big pitch and, and, and sales drive for this as a, you know, and, and you started to hear that kind of terminology. I heard black swan event, you know. Right. That was one of the things. And, and I'm going, it's a cold. It's yeah. And then people are doing this screenwriting, right? Instead of talking about it, you know, empirically and realistically, they're doing, they're trying to give you these um, screenplay formula. Oh, it's this. Right. That. But that's exactly right. That, and that's yeah. really a thing. And, and, and there's, there is a desire for that more lurid and exciting version of what is an extraordinarily banal virus, you know. Yeah, but they want not... the, people want the escape. They want they're attracted to the promise of the escape. Although with this already, they know it's not there. They know it's not coming. But that's right. the that's what the pitch is, right? Is that if this virus gets out of control, you can tell your boss to fuck off. You can, you know, you're, right. the government's going to send you some money. You're got, but you're going to be free, you know, because the the disaster movies are about a kind of freedom where you have a lot of um, exertion required, right? You have to run around, you have to do this stuff, but you have no <laughs> drudgery. You have no boss and no drudgery. You're free, right? And it's a yeah. fantasy that, and everybody's longing for this, right? Yeah, well, but absolutely. And so the government... Yeah are all looking at this as well. This is just, a, you know, like the Boston Marathon. I mean, this yeah. is a, a test drive to see how compliant people will be. Yeah, and, and they're, they're activating Patriot Act stuff that they didn't activate before. You know, there, there was like, a, that was a sleeper, sleeper authoritarianism, right? right. Sleeper t- right. tyranny, and now, now they're using them. Yeah, and, and it's, it's um, also touches on, and I, mm. I don't want to go like, digress too far but it really did strike me when i saw okay the nba season is curtailed and there's yeah. no major sporting events and now there's no airline flights from europe for three and i thought well this is the contraction of capital again you know yeah the, the oh absolutely they want uh, yes i mean there's this fantasy that they want economic growth they don't want economic growth they haven't really wanted economic growth since you know they destroyed uh, communism but it's like yeah, I mean, I was going to, I was going to Italy and it was, uh, my flight was finally canceled, but I was like, I'm going, I don't care. But my <laughs> flight was canceled. But then I thought, you know, I was going to Sicily and it's like, in Sicily, I thought I was talking to my friend there and it's like, you know, Sicilians, that's the last people I'm assuming will go along with this because they don't like <laughs> the little rules, you know? Right. And it's like, no, but everyone's going along saying, no, we have to do this. You know, one day, two days ago, they're all kissing each other as normal out, going out at night. And all of a sudden, the, yeah, the, the, the town is locked down and they're like, oh, but for the weakest, we have to do this. But the economic contraction, yeah, this is something that has to be cleared up because everybody thinks, you know, that it's capitalism, old style, like the name of the game, as if there's still a lot of competition and that there, people haven't realized right. how much the how, how much the power and finance was concentrated, how far advanced the last, you know, the 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 scam of the financial crisis of ten years ago, you know, concentrated the wealth even more. 
and you know they're 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 done with this system they're moving to a slave system they don't yeah, want and, to worry and, about the falling rate of profit anymore no not, and they don't want to worry about it and that's apparent everywhere you look and everywhere it, it's um i mean i keep making these yeah. connections i mean with i mean the coronavirus and before that the climate discourse all the sort yeah. of alarmism stuff because i i saw all the same psychological mechanisms in people um part of this playing a role um and this maybe in a society that is so extraordinarily unforgiving and cruel and almost excessively sadistic to its you know the the most vulnerable uh there is a desire to play act at being hyper compassionate and caring and to, and to be this sensitive, caring person. And I saw that again and again and again with, with the green people and certainly with like the overpopulation people, you know, um, who, who were mouthing stuff that was genocidal, you know, yeah. we, we want to like, actually it's, I'm so compassionate. I just, I have to eliminate half the planet's population. Yeah. Yeah. because of my compassion because of my social responsibility and yeah. yeah no it's so true this fuzzy warm i mean i was seeing it I, oh i'm right i was looking for i was looking for like one of those japanese uh, aprons on and an ad came up from alibaba and it was like a four dollar <laughs> thing and it said you know we get the most socially responsible cotton linen you know it was in the ad for something that's four bucks <laughs> to be to be sent to me from China, you know, like as if I can't add that up, like that there's a slaves there, and yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like no. it was all about advertising um, this very very generalized because um, of course you're still being demonized if you actually you know treat another human being um, with respect and say you know I can't I don't have a right to tell that person whether to have a child or something like that. Right, right. You're right. still, that's still your bleeding heart or whatever. All the, that's the other thing, the innovation now with this spectacle that's so fragmented, there's so many channels, there's so many platforms that you get all the, all the um, schemes of propaganda at once. And it doesn't matter that they all contradict. People don't care. That right. they, people don't no, care no, about contradiction no. anymore. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, it's that idea is has all but disappeared. In fact, people yeah. are quite happy to juggle two contradictory things in the same moment, even and and talk to you about it as if as if there is no contradiction. But that's the um, screen damage. Like there was this. I was yes. thinking of something the other day. Like with on Twitter, you deal with people like they've lost the ability. Like the language has fallen apart. I was thinking like if you said. If you said something like, oh, I, you know, I was in, a, I was staying in a small hotel in Paris and I was bitten by this really big mosquito, they will say that you are implying that the mosquito is bigger than the hotel because you called the mosquitoes big and the hotel small. Right. So, you right. know, that's how, how totally abs every sentence is pulled apart. You know, they quote a phrase well, and. Yeah. And, 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 but I mean, they can't, but this is, this is the, yeah. the, the, um, the erosion of language. I mean, language yeah. skills, I mean, my God, just read the New York Times, you know. Um, uh, yeah, where they say me and him was having a drink. Yeah, I mean, things that, that even 25 years ago, you know, would have been corrected. Um, yeah. Immediately. 
um, now you, it's just, it's just, it's a code, you know, things have been reduced to these, these reflexive codes that, and, and everything's a dog whistle too. Everything's and, a and dog whistle. You see this in Hollywood. Um, I mean, my God, Hollywood television. Now you, you watch them, especially network shows. And we can talk about prestige shows in a minute. And, and I want to, but um, sort of the network, you know, 48 minute now, what used to be an hour, 48 minute drama, police drama or something. Those shows are told entirely um, in dog whistle code. Uh, there's no story there. And, but, but people recognize familiar settings, familiar sort of vague plot points. Right, and it's all attenuated where it's supposed to be activating some memory you have of some other show. Yeah. That you saw in your mean, childhood, right, or something. Yeah. Like, oh, this no, is the dog day afternoon scene. This is the Butch Cassidy. Right, right. No, and it's and it's gotten to the point where oh, this is from season three of Chicago PD. I remember right, that. Right, right. Yeah, so something it's really gotten. I mean, the recycling, the recycling of the recycling, um, and and part of that is, I mean, one of the things I've I've tried to talk about on the blog is the the way in which um, narrative has has unraveled in a sense that the people don't grasp. Um, narrative uh, in its entirety at all anymore. I mean, I remember giving students, this is, and this is 15 years ago, 20 years ago, giving students like a page of Henry James to read, mm. the opening page of some, one, some Henry James song. And they, they could barely get through it. Well, it's much worse than that now. Yeah, um, it's, it's interesting. It's like structuralism like came true. Like the way they like they abolish the the diachronic thing and and you just you just reduce everything to raw or cooked. You know, I'm watching this show. Oh, there's raw, there's cooked, there's raw. You know, or whatever. That that's all it is is lighting up. And that the guy who made Parasite, he does that a lot. I mean, everything is a a reference, right? I mean, he's very yeah. very skilled, and the stuff is very you know, it's watchable, it's not boring, there are no longers, it gets great performances, etc. But it's, it's all that. It's this, you know, real con game, like there's no, it's a simple manipulation, like pushing buttons. It's not, it's deactivating your mind. Yeah, and, and the, um, the, uh, the other thing that kind of runs alongside that, I'm trying to think of exactly how I I want to put this, but but there is there seems to be a surplus of like the supernatural in storytelling now. Yeah. Um, but it's but it's really rudimentary. I mean, I, that's not even the right word. It's it's incoherent supernatural. I mean, there's no rules or anything. It's just it's 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 CGI and yeah, it's just there because it's it's a cue that, oh, well, <laughs> this is going, this means the end is coming because there really was no story here anyway. Because there's no story. Somebody, I think it was Anthony Lane called, gave this a name it, in the Pirates of the Caribbean, like the last movie, they have a moment where something crazy happens and he called it like the rules of like, whatever the fuck. 
because that's what it is. It's whatever the <laughs> fuck, you know, like you need, like we need something, you go back and because there's no history, but now there's no time either. Like even the beginning of the movie is forgotten by the middle of the movie. Right. So you don't, right. so whatever the rules were laid down or the backstory, you could change it arbitrarily. Or like you said, that the structure, they don't even tell a story with re development anymore. All you do is peel away the layers to show that you were lied to, the, the reveals. Right. That everything right. is just right. reveals instead of developments. Like you know, a character is revealed as being a vampire, just arbitrarily. Well, it's interesting, like the, the perfect example in a sense was very recently, The Outsider, um, which I guess was an HBO show, Richard Price. And Stephen King gets some credit and God only knows what he did, but yeah. it feels very much like a Richard Price um, teleplay. And it's, you know, it's intelligently written more or less, although I thought it was very weird that an Australian, a Brit and, a, and an Irishman played the three lead characters who were all supposed to be Southern Americans. Um, but I don't know what that means. But anyway, the, there is a, a kind of a supernatural element that builds and, and you can feel the script writing itself into a corner because at some point, there's going to have to be a monster or not, you know, right. and monsters don't really exist. So what are you going to do? Because this is this hyper-realistic, ultra serious, you know, color corrected to green. So we know that, you know, <laughs> it's a horror show. Um, and then at the end, finally, the monster dies. And this is like a spoiler alert, you guys. Um, the monster dies. And as he's dying, there's a close up on his face that through the, you know, the miracle of CGI morphs into all the faces of the people he killed, sort of, or most of them. And so it's like, yeah. And like, I go, well, what the fuck is this? What is this supposed to mean exactly? What is it supposed to mean? Because had his head just been crushed by the protagonist and that was the end, it would have been almost a satisfactory ending to a, a simple sort of um, gothic melodrama, which is what it was. But instead, there's this strange moment, which, which is not only gratuitous, but, but, um, but incoherent in a way, because it's, it's, it's not, it doesn't provide... Um, any kind of symbolic or, or, or metaphorical or, you know, allegorical element to anything. It's, it's just a bit of stupidity. It's like a um, pseudo allegory. It's like, it's like teasing you, right? It's like a, it's like an artificial sweetener. Yeah, like, because try to no interpret this, like for there's the There's no connection to those buffs. stories, right? Yeah. We don't know those stories. We don't know those characters. We haven't met them. Had it been a 900 page novel, presumably we would have met them along the way. But we don't, and we don't see their relationship to the society at large, and it's a fake society. It's a fake Southern Gothic landscape. And, um, and, and it's interesting because the whole third act takes place in these, in these caves, right? Southern caves, like oh, yeah. McCarthy, right? Whatever that book was. And it's interesting because his book, where the guy gets lost in the cave, the killer, it's about it's about guilt and the, 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 the lostness of one's own violence and, and you know, 
on and on and it's very Dostoevsky. And, but there's none of that here. It's just a Disney cave world um, that these right. people walk through. And so, and so it's just, that's, and that's what passes for very expensive prestige television now. Um, but, but, but back to the original point was, I'm not sure what this, this appeal or the allure or the draw is of this kind of kitsch supernatural because it's in everything now. It's so interesting because at first, I mean, it first really appeared in television with Buffy, right? Because before that you didn't have, you had, you know, t television had to reach a mass audience and it had to be realistic. And basically it was franchise shows. It was fighting crime or fighting medical, medical dramas and, that, and police and lawyers. And, um, the, you know, that was what TV was and it had to be kind of realistic and, you know, it had to be melodrama. Even, you know, you had procedurals and they, but it had to, you know, have these elements of, you know, populist stuff. And then all of a sudden you had Buffy, which was a flop, but Murdoch kept it on because it attracted, you know, these little, this academic cult, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it was ideological. So he, he um, persisted with it despite the fact that it was a tiny, tiny audience, just like they did with the David Lynch. Right, and, right. and so, and that was another one, right? And it, the supernatural was bizarre. It struck all the reviews were like, oh, wait, it's vampires. It's stupid. It's not, you got, and then all of a sudden there was this flight from the real, from reality, you know, like from the verite type, things got more and more verite and all of a sudden you couldn't even look at reality anymore. Lee. Reality was too awful unless it was about very, very rich people, right? Because you can't even look at the society anymore. So instead you started to get fantasies and now there's, you know, the CGI, all the histories, the tutors, whatever. Now, that's that very interesting. Now that's an interesting point because it was, it was from, you know, the franchise early cop shows or westerns or whatever that were that were yeah. very genre heavy, genre forwarded sort of, you know, um, formulaic stories. And then we get yeah. Buffy, which was a watershed of sorts. And then that was followed with a whole series of like the witches of western. Right, the witches and charmed. Oh, and but in between, right, then you had first you had the evolution and about the same time you got the soapification of all the franchise yes, shows. Yes, right. And that was like, so turning them into soap operas to get them away from the story, the typical story that made sense that was always liberal and ideological, you know, the, 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 the show about the defense attorney. Do you remember the law with them? Um, right. You yeah. know, and, you know, or stuff like that, or the cop show or the Perry Mason model or whatever. And then you got the St. Elsewhere and the Hill Street Blues that soapified those shows that it became more about the characters and they stopped having to resolve their stories, right? They stopped right. Being, having to, to write good stories in a single episode. And um, they, it, it ideologically twisted things. And then, so that they were moving toward a Buffy, like it didn't really matter the world they were in. You know, right. it's it right. stopped being the typical liberal um, TV, and and I look back now and I didn't even notice how each one of these shows had a liberal message at the end. I mean, it was always that you have a a, a crisis, a fascist threat appears where you know it looks like a solution, and then you um, right. you reaffirm the liberalism over that. 
you rejected the fascism, but it got more and more attractive, right? But you rejected it, like the movie Star Chamber, where, you know, there's so, after all these liberal movies that are all about defense attorneys, you got a movie about judges who are letting people go, who are scumbags because of technicalities, and then they decide to have a star chamber where they're going to assassinate the baddie that got out um, on the technicality. But then in the end of the, and they make that very attractive, but then at the end, they're after an innocent guy. So they have to pull back from the fascist temptation. But it was like all the shows staged the fascist temptation. They made it quite attractive and then they rejected it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, and then we get well, Buffy, which is just a celebration of the fascist temptation. She's a slayer. She's ordained. She kills whoever she wants. Right. They're vampires, you know? And so what happened is that fantasy, that fantasy yeah. stuff that got away from the, the, the pseudo-realism or naturalism yeah. of those earlier series, you get to, to Buffy and it's the, the fantasizing and, and the sword and sorcery and all of this stuff. And it's, it's the precursor to, you know, Hollywood's big investment in everything from Star Wars to The Hobbit and-, and Harry so Potter, on. Harry Potter. Harry Potter. And then you get, now you get yeah. the, the completion of the circle is that you get this Richard Price series that I just mentioned, yeah. The Outsider, which is in a sense, the Hobbit or Harry Potterification of, yeah. of Gothic, you know, melodrama, stroke prestige drama, because that's as close as one gets to prestige drama. And it's I said the other day, yeah. I said that maybe when I was with Guy, yeah. I said, you know, it seems that Hollywood either swings now between you know, these huge infantile, you know, comic book franchises, which may have actually reached the point of diminishing returns now. I think, I think they just yeah. sat, really saturated people. But um, it's either that or it goes back to stuff like Marriage Story, which is uh, yeah. somebody called, you know, this, the people staring at the lint on their sweater stories. Um, which which takes place in this kind of arch naturalism, indie cinema. I mean, all those, Noah Baumbach has just borrowed all the style cues from, you know, in quotation marks, indie cinema. There is no indie cinema, but anyway. Yeah, but and, that's like a real substitute for your, like people have not having a social life, like just the time you would spend listening to your friends in a restaurant, like bitch about their divorce. Right, exactly. It's like, that's all it is. <laughs> it requires no more attention, you know, it's, but you don't care. And then, but the, yeah, what you were saying before about the, the, the Harry Potterization of the, it's like, you know, they used to say, oh, it's a fairy tale for adults. And they meant that a, a, it's a fa it's children's TV that is imagined to may, be made suitable for adults by having graphic sex and violence inserted. Right. Right. But it's just for children. It's like, do you remember Pan's Labyrinth? Yes. Yes. It, that was like that, right? It was right. set up and it was like, okay, this is fascism and blah, blah, blah. But it really was infantile. And there, it's like um, the CGI allowed that, you know, and then, but it's saying, okay, no, it's not really for kids because it has all this, um, this, these atrocities, you know, or it has all this sex in it or it has all this nudity. Therefore, it can't really be for kids, even though it is actually kids TV. Turn, right. you know, our kids' movies, and that—that's what they're doing. Yeah, they're at the heart. The well, it's, it's like the Murdochization of all these genres. You know, making them all 
magical. And somebody said about Buffy, you know, that as it got more and more crazy magical, it became like, it was a very Bush, it went from being a Clinton era thing to a Bush era thing. You that's, know, that it, that's a very perceptive comment. Yeah. I think that was Anthony Lane also. Um, I, you know, when I was teaching at the film school, <clears throat> they yeah. had um, a film festival every year. It was a terrific festival that came to Woods for cinematographers. It was a cinematographer festival called Camera Image. And um, they had incredible sound and, and, you know, great prints. And it was always really fun and, and lots of big directors and people came. Anyway, they showed Pan's Labyrinth and they'd show like 20 movies a night mm. in the theater from morning till night. And it was followed by um, the uh, Melville film, and I'm going to forget the title of it now, um, that I love so much. See, this is senility creeping. A Man Escapes? No, the, but it's a lot like that, actually. Um, oh, my God, I can't look. Anyway, um, which was a, one of the great anti-fascist films about the occupation in France. and about, Oh, um, yeah. Uh, um, I know that the red circle, no, Army some, of shadows, army of shadows, army of shadows. Yeah. yeah. Which is absolute masterpiece. I mean, one, yeah. of, one of the 10 greatest films ever made in my opinion. And they had a new print of it and they had the, the cinematographer there in person who was like 90 years old. And I got to tell him how much I like the film and stuff. And, um, and it, but it was a fascinating juxtaposition with Pan's labyrinth that sort of was had pretense to being a critique of fascism or, or um, you know, at least uh, Francoism in some sense, but, but wasn't that at all, of course. And Army of Shadows really was. And people did not know how to respond to Army of Shadows. I mean, they just, they, they kind of left very quietly, left the theater very quietly. And there was very little conversation compared to what one usually got um, and, and I think it was because, you know, that was a story in which none of these things we're talking about were present. It was, even though it wasn't made in the 60s, it was like a film from the 30s or 40s. Um, and it was, it, was a, it was a strange moment. And then the other experience I had at the film festival was when Slumdog Millionaire screened. Oh, God. You know, in which people were enraptured. I mean, just just falling over themselves, and I kept going. But this is a this is a nightmare. This film. Yeah, know. it's a. You know, it's funny. I my friend Lee told me that that film initially tested really badly, and that they they did. Somebody came up with that promo where it said, you know, uh, he's winning this show. Is it? because he's super smart? Is he cheating? Or because it is written? Where they just by, by that promo, put quotations around the film and then everyone accepted it. That's like it needed that irony and, and then it was fine that it was fairy taleish and you know, that it was so contrived and all this stuff, but that it needed that signal, like giving the audience permission to like this. Yeah, garbage. you know, it'd be an, interesting, um, an interesting double bill. I always had yeah. these double bills in my head would be Slumdog Millionaire and Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner. Oh, what a great movie that is. But that's, you know, yeah. And yeah. I remember I screened Loneliness of the Long Distance Runner at the Cinematheque in, in Woods when I was teaching there. Afterwards, I would ask for comments and one kid said, um, I, I mean, I don't get it. Why did he lose the race? He lost, he was gonna win. 
and I, I thought, get it. <laughs> yeah, I said, you know, yeah. I said he he lost so that he could really win. You get it? Yeah. And that was as simply as I could I could put it. But I thought this is you know this is because people have no education anymore at all. They can't read at all. They don't read at all. And so this stuff um, becomes increasingly alien and it's, it's increasingly a foreign language too. You know, it's, it's um, not part of their, their daily discourse. Um, but anyway, I think, I think there's something important in, um, in your observations about Buffy and, and that we're, we're tracking these timelines there because I think, I think it, it reflects something um, larger going on and, and that, that Buffy went from a Clinton era franchise to a Bush era franchise is, is really significant and, and, and kind of interesting because those shifts were going on. I've said before that, that and people who read me know from, you know, that one of the big pivotal moments was like 1977 with Sorcerer, and and that the films in the 80s were very different than the films from the early 70s. God, Um, I just, we just watched Banditi Milano, with, you know, was this Carlo Lizzani, a real communist, a real communist movie with John John Maria Volante. And we've seen now his, a couple of his movies and so Hollywood stole so much, including like the French Connection, the car chases, Butch Cassidy stole so much from these movies. But yeah. these movies are like, first of all, they're beautiful, but they also, there's a sense of reality. And I, I don't remember, we talked about this on my blog a hundred years ago. I think like CGI, how CGI makes the world airless and nothing happens, a hair right. on a head doesn't move. And, and you know, so you, you look at these movies that were shot outside and, um, but it was, the acting was freer, but but they're really beautiful. Like these guys really had an eye, you know, Rose, uh, Rosie and, and Lizzani. And then mm-hmm. Hollywood stole all this stuff and inverted its politics, but very, very subtly. Like Butch yeah. Cassidy yeah. seems like an anti-establishment movie, but when you compare it to this movie that it stole all these scenes from, including, you know, when they're holed up and the, and the, the, the famous scene of, you know, these massive amount of soldiers lining up to kill them and then you cut and they don't know, you know, that dramatic irony, they're in there arguing about where they're gonna go next. And, um, and um, how, when you compare it, you see the transformation of the yeah. politics, but when you just see it, you, you realize it was very good substitute leftism. You know, it was very well, attractive. But, but I think that, I mean, if yeah. if I've always used like um, the Kubrick 2001 a Space Odyssey, just because it was the last film of that kind before CGI took over. Right. And he had an army of people painting, you know, the little spaceships and the stars in space and all of this stuff. And he had a model built and the camera tracked this model in three-dimensional space with these hand-painted things and the film still has this quality and it imparts a political dimension to the film separate from everything else separate from the the sort of overarching ideology of of space travel and whatever that the Tarkovsky kind of commented on but um it has the the way it looks is just very different than say, you know, 
um, any of the Marvel or DC films. And, and I always think of Spider-Man because we've talked, that's what we talked about on your blog, as I recall, that there's no air in Spider-Man. We see him, you know, flying, but there's no sense of, of height or distance or space or air anywhere. Right. Or danger. So, there's nothing at stake. There's something becomes very reactionary about yeah. that aesthetic. And I, you know, that's, I've struggled to articulate that at different it's times. It's the totality. It's the director's hand is there controlling everything, controlling the whole world and making everything come out okay. Like well, their total Antonio control, Rudy. their tyranny is the morality, is the guarantor yes. of the safety of everyone who's good. That's well, that was Antonioni's thing about the conquest of the screen. Yeah. And all those guys, Pasolini and Bertolucci, yeah. and were all struggling against that because they had such an acute experience of it um, under Mussolini when, when um, the state ran the, the films. Um, but anyway, the, the, um, I want to sort of segue that because, because I think that CGI yeah. is, I mean, do you know that Chris Rossi, our friend Chris yeah. Rossi just told me the other day that the new version with Harrison Ford and let it be put in parentheses, there is perhaps not a worse actor in Hollywood than Harrison <laughs> Ford. Anyway, there, they did Call of the Wild. There's a new version of Call of the Wild, oh my which I'm God. sure bears, bears scant resemblance to Call of the Wild, but the dogs are CGI. Oh my God. I mean, just ponder that one. Um, yeah, I mean, it, why? It's really like, well, too <laughs> it's staggering. But it's anyway. just, yeah, there's nothing at stake. There's no fragility. I mean, that was something like the French Connection, which has, you know, is ideological issues, but there's a lot at stake. Everybody's very human. Everybody's very vulnerable. And to see that the, the whole car chase and everything is taken from this other movie, this Lizzani movie, and you really, you, which is also about a massacre, you know, it starts off with the massacre and then you go back in the past and it's about adventurism and, um, you know, uh, fascism. And it's, um, but you, he gives you one moment of each of the people who are going to be killed and, um, who are not the protagonist, the protagonists are the killers, but the, the moments of the people who are going to be killed. And um, that kind of sequence was also stolen by a million Hollywood movies, but everything works. You know, I mean, you, you really get the truth of their lives and right. that right. they're human. And then also that they're anonymous to you. Like you're not, that you're not being told that you should care about them because you are suddenly part of their lives. It's just because there are, not, there are other human beings, you know, right, that right. are real people. And it was, it's really, really good. I mean, I still am suspicious of all cinema, but it, it's like, um, it's an experience that in, enriches your understanding of human, of, of human affairs. Well, I, I, I mean, this is, this is the point yeah. where I will segue and we probably don't yeah. have enough time to do okay. Beller justice, but I wanted to kind of segue into Beller a little bit because I think people who will listen to this need to be introduced to him in, in a sense. And, and you're a very good person to introduce him. But a lot of people are like attacking him because of saying he's incomprehensible yeah. well, lately I mean, on Twitter. I mean, well, he uses the academic to... jargon, but you know, it's not that hard to get a little familiar with the academic jargon. No, it, you have to, you know, I mean, he's so, yeah, no more difficult than, than a lot of people that are A little not. bit. 
Uh, you know, he's. I think he's a lot clearer than some of the people that he relies on or or uses. You know, he's clearer than some of Baudrillard or some of the Flusser is like a funny mystic almost. Yeah, Flusser is a is is for some reason he kind of reminds me. I have the same relationship yeah. to him that I have to Bachelard. Um, yeah. That that is like there's really big problems and yet. That, that the part that's nearly as, you know, nearly religious or mystical is so seductive and they both grasp something profound. I mean... Um, yeah, they intuit it, but, they're, yeah, but they don't yeah. like get the, all the... And I think with Beller, I mean, he, he's really, really... I think cinematic mode of production is the most important Marxist book of you know the second half of the 20th century it's like really really important and yet he's using all the wrong theory at the you know he he wrote it as his thesis basically at duke on illiterate literary department you know under uh, uh michael hart and jameson it's got all the problems of being very posty and very interested in all that stuff but then also then the next book he sort of moved into a, a real technological determinism he got super attracted to the theory that the dominance of visuality is the answer to everything right so that yeah. rather than and that it got very very much almost like an evo psych thing although he's it's still full of insights and it's still mostly correct but that's the the problem right is that he he wound up falling in love with this insight about yeah. visual yeah. the dominance of visuality to the point where he wanted it like it literally becomes the determinant of all these things, of our whole uh, human society. And, and so the, that book is just absolutely free of class struggle. Like there's no, the, the, the profound <laughs> Marxist elements of the first book are gone in the second, even though he keeps kind of, he he'll kind of name check it, you know, kind of be like, and of course we can change this. If we get together, we can change this. But there's no sense anymore that and this is really, really common where people think they're talking about class, but they only talk about the bourgeoisie and the bourgeois practice as if it's the whole society. And then they have this mystery of why doesn't the bourgeoisie, what, what is the check on them? Why don't they just do everything they want? And then right. they imagine, because they've erased all of humanity from the picture, they imagine it's because the bourgeoisie is, is conflicted or that they have other impulses or the qualms or, the well, subconscious or whatever, when in fact it's they're being stopped by the slaves, you know, <laughs> that we're, we're stopping them from doing the next thing. That's why they don't do it. Not because they have another right, impulse, you know? <laughs> I, I think that people, I mean, the people I've talked to who have read yeah. Mellor, one of the problems or, or the, the, the place where they have difficulty, because yeah. a lot of people have gotten that, that he's an important thinker, and he is. Yeah. Um, but in the most recent book, um, the, that whole discussion of colonialism and, and racism and photography um, and putting that together in a, in a historical kind of trajectory um, felt really crazy to people, I think. Well, More here's the thing, you know, I was thinking about that because I agree. I mean, there's, He's on to something, he perceives something, but he's doing something that is really, really common now. I think you've mentioned this before, maybe on the blog and maybe, or maybe a while ago, but that it's like, there's no, he doesn't, he, know, he notices that there are things connected, 
but he doesn't know how they connect, but he doesn't want to admit he doesn't know how they connect. So he just makes a vague thing. And I was thinking about it. It's like, um, it's like we used to have, a, you used to have to make an argument, you know, and say what you meant. Like so this, it, this subtends this, or this causes this, or this is the result of this. And now you can just say, well, you can just say, well, this argument is raced, you know, like which right, doesn't right, tell you right. how raced, how race, you know, photography is raced, you know, or photography is gendered. And, and it doesn't tell you how it relates, but it's like, it's like, um, well, it's like you're, you're an archaeologist and instead of your, 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 your let's say your, your project in the past as, a, as an academic would be to take all the pieces of stuff you find and put together a pot. And now all they do, you know, like reassemble a, a, a ceramic artwork or a statue. Mm. Now all they do is like they come up with a box and you say, e the, all these shards in here, I think they were all one pot or maybe one, one artist, but I don't really know how they, right. I can't put them together, but here's the box of the right, little right. things that I have. And that's kind of what he's doing with the race. I mean, he's absolutely right that seeing race is not, people think they, it's so naturalized, we're so indoctrinated that people think it's really scientific when it's like seeing race, you go from country to country and people don't see it in the same way. You know, right. you go to some places where you're black here and you're white there, you know, there's no, it's not really real. It's, it's not, and photography was necessary. And we know because when we go back and look at the 19th century uh, narratives that um, a lot of people passed, you know, for white, yeah, a lot yeah. of people who would never, now those people with those exact faces and bodies would not pass. You know, right. it's because we pick up different things and photography is what it trained us. You know, you need the photography because in, if you don't have photography, people don't see that many people in their lives. Well, that was... You only see was, yeah. 100 people in yeah, your little village. So you can't just, make those types. And, <laughs> and it's really true. But then he added that story of the woman in, the, in a little camera obscura, the escaped slave. And it was like it doesn't belong with the other pieces of evidence. It's a metaphoric thing. It's not, you know, he, he made yeah. a box of shards. Well, two things. One yeah. is, did you see Dawson yeah. City? Was that the title of that documentary? No. Where they covered all these old silent films buried up in Alaska in this, and Donald Trump's grandfather was the, the ran the brothel in this town and it was a gold mining town. Anyway, yeah. but the point was a lot of the stuff that they unearthed these fragments of, of um, old film footage was, was a, an era where people didn't know what it was to be photographed. Right. And they were not self-conscious about a camera because they didn't really quite know what a camera was. So you saw people, it was just riveting to me because I thought I'm watching people, that's really, that's a threshold. This was prior to like photographic self-consciousness somehow. Mm -hmm. People didn't know they were being watched by this apparatus. And that was a huge thing. But, this, but back to Beller, and, and this is true of Flusser too, the problem for me was that everything he said was right, but that wasn't the only thing that needed to be said somehow. I mean, he didn't yes. put it, to, he put, he, he mixed things of a different order of types of evidence, some of it not being evident. He 
he made a collage. He didn't make an argument. But right. he's right about that the photography created contemporary race. That's absolutely, you, to create it, it has to be produced by the viewers. It has to be produced by, socially. And photography was absolutely necessary to create it in that way. Did, right. did you ever read um, the Dion Boussicot uh, 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 play, The Octoroon? No. Because that's I, really interesting because there's photography in it as a new thing. And then it's about this woman who's a slave, but nobody can tell that um, she's, you know, racial, that she's a Negro. And she has to show people some something in her fingernail to convince them. And, and, and it's really strange, but it's these issues exactly like you couldn't, you know, there the racialization did depend on photography and the circulation of images but he doesn't know how to prove it and he doesn't exactly know what he's saying like he he's not sure does that you know in a he's he's um he's uh he's um he's pandering to some uh something that's going on in academia like a sort of identity politics bullshit where that will somehow indict photography or something you know that there's going to be some kind of moral result it this. was why it was why it, yeah. in the blog I tried to juxtapose these quotes of Beller yeah. with Moretti talking about yeah. um, um, you know his critique of Frankenstein and Dracula and stuff because Moretti's come from this whole other place um, yeah. and about literature and narrative and and I mean his critique of Dracula is so extraordinary so brilliant really and um, and I thought there that somehow the territory that Moretti is covering there, and it's true in his book on the bourgeoisie too, um, yeah. is, is what's lacking in Beller somehow. Yeah, um, and he was much and, more, and I, he went in a funny direct, I mean, he got more posty when yeah, it would seem yeah. like he was going to get less posty. I mean, you know, it was like a, the first book was, a, was in a way an orthodox Marxist book that was disguised as a posty book. And then, uh, and then he was using all this, you know, he was using a lot of Hegelian and uh, post-structuralist models and he hadn't read the, um, the mediologist, actually it was my blog, I think that turned him onto it because I was writing so much about his book, but he hadn't read the mediologists at all. And then he took on the mediologists, but they're all, most of them are all fascists, right? So he yeah, absorbed yeah. that stuff, McLuhan, and I mean, Smythe wasn't, he was lefty, but the rest of them, and Debray is iffy, and Baudrillard was a fascist, and he took yeah, all he, that I stuff mean, on. That's yeah. almost another, yeah, I mean, he does pick weird sources, you know. Um, yeah, although the interesting things, and, yeah. And it's just like they're right, though. I mean, they were doing the work, but absolutely, you know, and they're absolutely really worth reading. They're yeah. important to read, but they're just reactionary. You know, they're reactionary, and 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 he, but he's very. I mean, I think that his stuff is still really essential. But there is this he, now. He's become this technological determinist that everything is um, the the visual. Um, arrangement you know the arrangement of the senses and everything is is literally determining uh, the politics without any there's no struggle as far and even right. when he reads when he reads marxists he takes the struggle out i remember and i maybe I, I my memory might not be exact here but he quotes gramsci 
a bit in that book and he erases, like he says the philosophy of praxis just means communism, but Gramsci won't say communism. And it's like, no, uh, <laughs> Gramsci first of all says communism all the time. And the philosophy of praxis is a larger category that includes bourgeois thing you know it includes yeah. it includes yeah. it is practiced by many classes including um, our, our aristocrats in the middle ages so you know i mean machiavelli also you know so it's like he doesn't he well there's a there's a it. there's a big danger yeah. anyway i think we're probably reaching our time limit here but okay. but um there's a danger that that technological determinism. I mean, he is yeah. becoming what he started to critique in his first book a bit. Yes. Uh, and and because there's just a danger in that. And I've always instinctively recoiled from these these technologically heavy critics, even when they're often, you know, partly quite perceptive or wholly perceptive, there's still this danger in in it's they're they're not aware of the seduction of 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 that language that grammar those codes the the way in which the history of of um of speech and text has been influenced and and that has to be worked against somehow so they're they're depoeticized you know, yeah, and, and every day and there's a, a struggle in all these things. Every day, I mean, what is the theater? Every day there's a there's a a, a social there's a social um, struggle that is conducted with all these tools, right? Yeah. With all this technology, with all this media. Every day we're still trying to survive. So you know, okay. um, it's not. It, and yeah, to erase that and just say, it, well, it's just like people who want to say everything is the brain, you know, and look at the brain like oh, well, a computer. Yeah, yeah, I know exactly, but it is exactly that. And and um, and boy, those guys—that's um, a whole topic for a, a separate podcast. We can talk about writers on the brain. But okay, I think we're out of time. Okay, um, I next think time I have we get time. But this was yeah. great. We should do another one and. Um, before coronavirus overtakes us all. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I hope you get to, I hope your flight that you can get to Italy sometime soon. Jesus Christ. Um, uh, yeah, that's I mean, I'm, I'm glad I got my, I hope I'm getting my refund. Um, I mean, but it's like, it was just insane. I mean, and then there was one flight going, KLM was flying from, but then if I had taken it, I wouldn't be able to get back now because right, uh, right. Trump has closed the thing. Christ, it's just, it's, yeah, I don't know. Insane. Okay, on that happy All right, note. This was great. So can you send me the thing so I can- Absolutely will. It'll take a day to get sort of, um, loaded and and um uploaded and and um my jack Littman has been our um technological guru on all of this and i want to thank oh, him and thank jack um, is he on twitter is that the jack Littman on twitter he probably is on twitter yeah. i noticed him great, he follows me and i i didn't know who he was is that a friend yeah, of yours he yeah he's a member of aesthetic resistance a member oh, okay. of so he'll upload it and it'll be up in a couple of days and I'll send you the link and, um, and we'll do this again because this was really fun. And it was fun and we should do, um, you know, threes and fours and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. We have a lot of people. No, we have some, okay, we should great. get um, 
Petroselli and all kinds of people to come. Um, yeah, the kids. We got to get kid. the kids, right? Kid. Involve yeah. the kid. He's a kid, but he's yeah. very, he's very <laughs> serious. He's very de dedicated to what he's doing. Yeah, oh, we'll we'll let's we'll have him. And once I figure out how to do it with three people, we'll do it. Yeah, great. Okay, so all right. Talk to you later. Care. Hello to your children and your wife. Yeah, those dangerous little microbes are everywhere. Remember? Okay. <laughs> yeah. well, Put your I mask on. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, bye.